The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. Homes.com knows that when it comes to home shopping, it's never just about the house or condo. It's about the home. And what makes a home is more than just the house or property. It's the location and neighborhood. If you have kids, it's also schools, nearby parks, and transportation options. That's why Homes.com goes above and beyond to bring home shoppers the in-depth information they need to find the right home. And when I say in-depth, I'm talking deep. Each listing features comprehensive information about the neighborhood, complete with a video guide. They also have details about local schools with test scores, state rankings, and student-to-teacher ratio. They even have an agent directory with the sales history of each agent. So when it comes to finding a home, not just a house, this is everything you need to know, all in one place. Homes.com. We've done your homework. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. I'll be one of my friends. I'm just trying to save you some money. My job is not just to entertain you, but to educate and teach you. So call me at 1-800-743-CNBC. Tweet me at Jim Kramer. After a down day, where the Dow declined 208 points, S&P lost 1.1%, and the Nasdaq tumbled 1.68%. Why don't we use this moment to assess what's happened so far in 2023? Right now, there are two major camps on Wall Street. You've got the bears who believe the rally is over and done with. And then you've got the other bears who don't want to acknowledge that the rally even happened. Where the heck are the bulls? Where are those who believe that companies can change their stripes and improve? As Disney did this very night when CEO Bob Iger, I should say new CEO Bob Iger, announced a giant restructuring seeking $5.5 billion savings, helped in part by the layoffs of 7,000 people. That and the prospect of the return of the dividend sent the stock flying 8.8% in aftermarket trading. Bye, bye, bye. The bears act as if every company is hostage to the Fed. Everyone! They seem to pay no attention to the positives like Disney's changes. Or even admit it, but it's difficult for the company, but positives like Dan Loeb joining three other activists and taking position in Salesforce. Four activists, that often bodes very positive for you, the shareholder. I think the growling bears may be in denial here, not just about the stocks of Disney and Salesforce. As I see it, this year's tremendous action is all about a snapback after a horrendous 2022. And in some cases, an actual improvement in business. Not all, but some. Sure, retail's very tough. Too much inventory. Yes, high rates have hurt consumers, but they're still spending. Not on things, but on travel and leisure. But you know what? We don't need to quibble. I got an idea. Let's get some hard evidence. Hard evidence on what is soaring in 2023. Let's go to the tape. And let's look at the stocks that have gone up the most in 2023 to search for clues about what's really happening and then maybe what's about to happen. First, and this one's so obvious, it's just painful, Tesla. 
it does prove my point. This is a stock that sold off hard last year, down 65%. It's now rebounded like crazy in 2023, up 63%. No, that doesn't bring it back to even. I understand arithmetic, but it's because Tesla's fundamentals were never bad. The stock just flew too close to the sun. It's been hard to value this company ever since it went cash flow positive years ago. However, we know it got too low, in part because Elon Musk was forced to sell a ton of stock in order to pay for his ill-advised acquisition of Twitter. A deal he would have backed out of the Delaware Chancery Court wouldn't have let him. That unnatural pressure weighed on the stock of Tesla. When Musk finally said he was done selling after he bombed the stock with a $3.6 billion sale at the end of December, well, it was off to the races for one of the great stocks of all time. Second biggest winner is a company called Align Technology. That's to make of Invisalign races. They had a terrible year in 2022, down 67%. Business was rocky, especially for such a high multiple stock. But things turned around in the fourth quarter. You know this because on the latest conference call, the analysts were congratulating Align for its return to stability. That's been enough to turn the third worst performer last year into pure gold for 2023. It's up over 58% year to date. How about this one, Catalan? That was the sixth worst performer last year. It came into 2023 with a terrible post-COVID hangover. These are guys, make, they make the tools that helped Moderna create its COVID vaccine. So just like Moderna, the stock roared during the pandemic, then came back to earth once the world went back to normal. Now, though, it's on, it's, it's on fire because we're hearing rumors that it could be a takeover target for Kramer fave Danaher, which we own for the charitable trust, although that stock's been under pressure of late. I have no idea if a deal will happen. But I think it would make a ton of sense and shows that the 2022 sell-off created values in 2023, values that perhaps you should be interested in taking and not giving them the Heisman like so many of the bears have. Next, people hated Warner Brothers' discovery last year because it was saddled with $50 billion in debt and a big slug of puzzled shareholders who ended up owning the stock when it was spun off by ATT. You know, part of it went away and they gave it to Disney's cust. These people wanted a dividend. Hey, who knew? I mean, that's how you get to be the 11th worst performer in the SP 500, down more than 60%. But it's also how you get to be the fourth best performer of 2023 because the stock got too cheap. The ATT shareholder base simply didn't want to own Warner Brothers Discovery for any reason, even when it became clear that the fundamentals might be turning. That depressed the share price to unnaturally low levels, and now it's bouncing back. Then there's Meta Platforms, which you got, this one got so, sold so hard. Last year, do you know that it was the eighth worst performer in the S&P 500? Off 64%. At the end of last year, the stock was selling for less than 15 times earnings. So when Meta laid off 13% of its staff and reported an encouraging quarter, where management spent a lot more time talking about Instagram and Reels than the bottomless money pit that is the metaverse, well, the stock soared. It was a surprisingly good quarter, and the $40 billion buyback didn't hurt much, did it? I think Meta deserves to be the fifth best performing stock for 2023. It is now up 52%. The stock rolled over today, devoid of any major AI announcement like Google or Microsoft. But I tell you what, I do a lot of reporting on this. I think there could be something AI meaningful right down the pike. Six best, we got another one that soared too close to the sun. That was Kramer fave NVIDIA. This thing fell off a cliff last year in part because of a slowdown in the video game business. This year, that ugly duckling turned into an artificial intelligence swan as these AI chat programs most likely run on NVIDIA's technology. Now, it's up 52% for 2023, and I'm concerned that you haven't seen any big money for all of its work. I think it's coming, which is why we've been telling investment club members, hold on. Now let's knock off three birds with one stone. The seventh, eighth, and tenth best performers in the SP are all cruise lines. Royal, Caribbean, Carnival, Norwegian. 
These stocks were horrendous performers during COVID, which makes sense because they were often allowed to operate for a very long period of time. They weren't allowed to operate. They were shut down. How are you going to make money when you're shut down? Now they're bouncing back in the wave season when we find out how bookies are doing has been a blockbuster. Hey, you know what? They do better when they can sail. Exciting time for the cruise industry. All these stocks are coming back thanks to what I call the life is too short thesis. People want vacations immediately. They don't want to wait. Yes, they're not paying for things at retail, but they want to get on these cruises. And when it comes to vacations, cruises, by the way, are the best value, especially if you like to uh, imbibe. The ninth best performer year-to-date is SVB Financial, don't you want? This company's a merchant bank with a deposit base that Wall Street had been stakely concerned about. SVB is the old Silicon Valley Bank. Recently bought one of our favorite research firms, Boffett Nathanson, and it's become less dependent upon private equity and venture capitalist offerings. Wait a second. Those dried up last year, they could come back. Yes, some of them come back here with the stock directly affects an oversold position. Stock was the fourth worst performer in 2022. I think the fears were not justified. and It's a very compelling situation. Hey, by the way, long-term private equity and venture capital, they're not going away. Being the banker to these immense pools of capital has always been a very good business. Stock's still cheap. Now, you have to remember that a stock that falls 66%, like SVB Financial did last year, it takes it a lot more to recover. After losing two-thirds of your value, you need a 200% gain to get back to even. This is arithmetic. Some people call it geometry. So you could argue SVB's nearly 40% rally this year is barely a drop in the bucket. And that's how I want you to think it. I think it's also a good example of why these bounce-back moves might be far from over. These stocks could have more room to run especially if you think they were driven down to artificially low levels by tax loss selling, artificial dumping, like we saw in Warner Brothers Discovery or Tesla. That's important because today was one of the worst days since the year began. After these stocks were big participants in the decline, I understand that. Many of the bounces this year have come from stocks that were heavily shorted. Many of them were correctly beaten down. It's just that the declines got a little too excessive when nothing really bad happened, at least by the end of last year. But when you look at the top 10 biggest winners for 2023, they're not like that. For the most part, I'd steer clear of the heavily shorted rebound names. And here, I'm not going to climb on board the Carvana bus or the upstart train. The fundamentals, they're just too ugly. The 10 biggest winners of the year so far, though, bottom line, consider me intrigued. But only if we have a couple more down days like today that give you a better buying opportunity because these stocks have all been overbought. One that I'm sure the bears are going to create when they go on TV tomorrow and tell you it's the end of the world, as they have throughout this entire very good 2023. Joshua in Louisiana. Joshua. What's up, Jim Cramer? I'm just doing my thing. How about you, Josh? A big booyah from the great state of Louisiana. Well, I do love Louisiana. I love New Orleans. What's happening? Grand Isle, too, by the way. What's going on? What's your thoughts on Intuit? You know, Intuit is a great long-term company. They have helped small business more than any company on earth. Right now, people worry about the near term. How about the longer term? They're worried about the chart, which is a head and shoulders pattern. I say Intuit is a great company because it makes it so life isn't too difficult if you own a small business. And you don't need all those accounting fees. Ron in Ohio. Ron. Hi, Jim. Right. Uh, first, I'd just like to say, Jim, uh, I've been following you ever since uh, Louis Rukeyser passed away. It's been Holy a long time. Holy cow, man. I told him he was my idol. We were fortunate to work together in the same building, and uh, I never missed a show. Never missed a show. That's great. How can I help? Jim, Jim my question is, uh, President Trump filled the Federal Oil Reserves at a cost of about $45 a barrel. Biden has removed about three-quarters of that 
and now he has to replace it with oil at 75, 80, or whatever uh, dollars a barrel. This is a very large purchase. When this purchase is made, who benefits from it, and how can I benefit from it? Well, I think that it's really, you know, the oil was sold at a very high level. Uh, We know that the president's not buying it back very aggressively. So I don't want to say that it doesn't matter, but it is not figured into play. What we need, if you get more economic growth worldwide, you're going to have more use for oil. That's all that it will take. The supply side itself is not as important as the demand side. And I think that when it gets to 70, it does seem like we have a floor. I urge you to buy an oil stock or two. I think they're terrific. All right, consider me intrigued when it comes to these Top 10 performers. Uh, but they uh, they got to come down a little, okay? But uh, uh, really, uh, let's say two or three more days. On Man Money tonight, despite reporting a top and bottom line beat, Agco stock remained relatively unchanged. So our investors getting a buying opportunity in the agricultural equipment company. I'm getting the latest from the CEO. Then last night, President Biden touched on our progress in the semiconductor industry, which has been greatly impacted by the work being done by none other than Secretary Gina Raimondo. And tonight, I'm learning more from the secretary where we stand on our mission to bring more semiconductor capacity to our shores. And Mattel reported, Mattel reported the bell. Um, is Wall Street ready to deal with what I think was a disappointing quarter? Why don't we talk to the top press and find out? So stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at CNBC.com or give us a call at 1 800 743 CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Fact Running a business is not getting easier on your wallet. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. Also a fact, smart businesses are reducing costs and headaches by graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You can cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. See how you'll profit with NetSuite, and then you can think of all the ways you could be spending the money you save. Company retreat in Malibu, anyone? By popular demand, NetSuite is offering a -a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to NetSuite.com to start saving. When you're hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging to connect with candidates faster. Plus, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching 
marketing engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash madmoney. Just go to Indeed.com slash madmoney right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash madmoney. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Last year, we had a phenomenal bull market in ag. Can it continue in 2023? Earlier this week, we got a constructive outlook from Corteva, genetically modified seed maker. Yesterday, though, a little more mixed view from Agco. That's one of the world's largest makers of farm equipment. See, yesterday morning, Agco reported a strong quarter, 57% earnings beat off 390 basis, higher than expected sales. But they also really reiterated their full-year forecast. Sometimes I like it when they raise the forecast, beat and raise. So should we be concerned that we didn't get a beat and raise here? Well, let's talk to Eric Hansodia. He is the CEO and chairman of Agco. But more about the portable comes next. Mr. Hansodia, welcome back to Mad Money. Jim, great to be with you. Always love being on Mad Money with you. Okay, so Eric, I think that your numbers demonstrate that the ag market is as hot as it's been. You had some supply chain issues, I know that. But when I look at what you're doing, which is precision ag, with doing supply and, by the way, I love this aftermarket business that you have, and we have to talk about Fent. It seems like to me that everywhere you sell goods, they're buying them. Absolutely. I mean, the market is extremely strong. It's simply we don't have enough grain in the world. Prices are high. Farmer profitability is high. And the uh, age of the fleet is a little bit uh, extended. And we're coming out with so much new technology that we're generating a lot of demand for farmers and and, uh, our order books are very extended. So strong market today, strong market well into the future. Okay, your machines are built to last for years and years. So what happens, we know that they're still aging uh, farm equipment, but how do you convince a farmer who bought one of your machines and it's running great that they ought to upgrade to precision? Well, we're coming out every year with new technologies. It makes the existing machine more capable. And we have a whole business uh, focused on the retrofit business, essentially making an existing machine more intelligent adding more capability. And so we can show them with, with a one to two year payback, our target is always one year payback for the farmer, that adding this new technology makes their machine more capable, makes the farmer more money. Well, let's dig down on that. Uh, when you say that there's one to two year payback, what that says to me is with labor being so hard to find, perhaps it's possible for a farmer to control more than one tractor at once to do these gigantic fields. Are they able to do that with precision? Well, more of our job is to automate the task on the machine. And so we're looking at technologies that, for example, see and spray, where vision systems on the boom of a sprayer can identify the difference between a weed or a corn plant or a weed and a soybean plant and only spray the weed. That will be all done automatically. So that's one of the things that we're talking about right now. Our planters can automatically change the population rate as the soil, as the farmer's going through field and uh, gets into a higher fertility area, higher organic matter, the planter can automatically plant a higher population, more seeds in that area, or shift to a different hybrid, or plant to a different depth to get into moisture. Those are all automated functions on the machine that make them more productive and uh, make the farmer more profitable. Well, I I know I want to spend more time on the globe, but I'm fascinated by this. Uh, What were the farmers doing before? (laughs) Well, they were always 
running their equipment, but they weren't able to make this many changes in real time. Uh, they weren't able to sense what's happening in the, in the crop or in the soil. And so they would run more at a steady rate of application as they went through the field. Now with precision, we can uh, more manage plant by plant, square meter by square meter to optimize every spot on the field to make the most out of that area. Higher yield, lower inputs, lower inputs like less fuel consumed, less fertilizer applied, less seeds used. All of those inputs help the farmer's profitability, also help with sustainability of the farm. Excellent. Now, we know that Ukraine, as you told us, is about 13% of the calories. I'll never forget that number. Thank you. I've used it many times <laughs> in the world. And Ukraine, obviously, still at war. Can you go around the globe and explain to me crop prices and agricultural equipment and how they're working? Yeah, in general, uh, stock-to-use ratios are, are very low, meaning there's not enough inventory of grain around the world. And so when that happens prices become elevated on grain to be able to bring that back into balance. And so you have farmers all around the world seeing higher grain prices. Now, there was a period, especially right around the time of the Ukraine war, when some of their inputs spiked up too. Fertilizer costs, diesel costs, and things like that. So although their prices were high, their costs were coming up. Well, now we're seeing a lot of those costs moderate. Uh, there's much more confidence in the natural gas supply, which is a big driver of fertilizer. And so fertilizer prices are coming down significantly off their peaks. Diesel prices are coming down. So the farmers, again, have, have uh, healthy, balance, uh, healthy operating profits coming into the future. If you go around the world, you know, that, oh, that whole uh, Black Sea region is still under a lot of pressure right. and uh, only generating about half of what it was in uh, pre-war times. But Brazil going flat out. They're, uh, they're continuing to add acres and add more productivity uh, to that region. North America also, very strong um, profitability and Europe. So all of those big regions, strong demand in each area, thirst for technology, thirst for more productivity, uh, and thirst for using less inputs on the farm. So we're seeing uh, really strong demand in all those regions. All right, so what we've got is a, a farmer who is it's got a great balance sheet, when they have a great balance sheet, they go, they go and they buy Agco, but they also buy some of these peripherals that you've got. They make things much, much stronger. They, they augment all their work, which means to me that 2023 could be another good year. Oh, I think there's almost no doubt. You hate to forecast with no. such high confidence at <laughs> the beginning of the year, but we've got an order bank that's uh, essentially sold out for much of the year already. Uh, and we see that you know, farmers can look into the future and lock in futures prices on their corn. So farmer profitability for 23, unless there's a major event, is, is with, we have high confidence in that. Uh, and we see well into, even into 24, we expect strong farmer profitability, which means strong business. With a record year in 2022, we expect it to be a significantly better year in 2023. Well, that's what I wanted to hear. I knew that you would give us some good news in a very bad day. That's Eric Hansoni, <laughs> the chairman and president and CEO of, of Agco, a company that we have championed since the $30 range. Thank you, Eric. Great to see you. Great to see you, Jim. Thanks a lot. Mad Money's back into the break. Coming up, from Wall Street to Pennsylvania Avenue, fresh off the State of the Union, Kramer goes one-on-one -on -one with the Secretary of Commerce, next. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It offers flexible spending capacity that adapts to your business. 
You can also earn up to $395 in annual statement credits on eligible purchases at select business merchants. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. From pit lane to podium, the Las Vegas Grand Prix is providing fans a race day experience at the speed they deserve. With the help of T-Mobile for Business, our 5G advanced network solutions are powering race day operations with event-wide connectivity. From streamlined gate entry to an immersive app, giving fans blazing fast access to the sport they love. This is accelerating innovation. This is the Las Vegas Grand Prix with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. Last night, President Biden gave his second State of the Union address, and there was a lot in here that's relevant to the stock market. We're not going to see any more big spending packages now that the Republicans control the House of Representatives. We might even get spending cuts to settle the looming debt ceiling fight. But just implementing the infrastructure package and the CHIPS Act and the so-called Inflation Reduction Act will be a massive endeavor. And we need more insight into how that's going to unfold. Fortunately, Commerce Secretary Gina Raimondo was in New York today, participating in a panel of business leaders. Remember, she's the one who pushed the Chips and Science Act through Congress. We got a chance to speak to her earlier. Take a look. Madam Secretary, welcome back to Bay Buddy. Thank you, Jim. Great to be with you. All right, so last night in the State of the Union, I said to myself, you know what, there's one area of true bipartisan support, and that is good for business, and that's the stuff you've been doing. And I'd like to start, if you don't mind, with semiconductors, because you spearheaded an amazing initiative that everyone that I talk to in the industry says is really going to work. Yeah, it is going to work. It has to work. Uh, it's for national security. You and I have talked about it. Right. But the president spoke about it in the State of the Union because it's that important. It's about national security, it's about manufacturing, it's about jobs. People are very excited, but no one knows who's going to get what, who's building what, what engineers are involved, and of course, what semiconductor companies are going to be involved. Can you give us a little hint of what's happening? Yes, sure. So at the end of February, we'll put the application out for companies to apply. And we have national security goals that we have to achieve. A certain amount of leading edge chips have to be made in America. A certain amount of advanced memory chips have to be made in America. Uh, We need more research and development in America. So we're going to put our goals out. Those are the goals. And companies will apply. Uh, But it's going to be hard to get this money. You know, some of these CEOs think, oh, we're just going to back up the truck to the Commerce Department. They'll fill it up with money and we'll drive away. It's not going to happen. It'll be a negotiation because at the end of the day, I'm accountable. We have to have our national security goals met. So it'll it'll be the, you know, the big chip companies. There's only a few companies in the whole world who can do this. And we're going to work in partnership with them to make sure they go big enough in America. Right, but they also may be big in People's Republic of China. What do we do about the semiconductor companies that do a preponderance of business there, actually, and also their chips could be weaponized? Yes, so uh, there's, there are a lot of strings attached to this money. One string attached is if you take this money, you can't build a leading-edge fab in China. Can't do it. Uh, you certainly can't use any of the money you're getting from chips to expand in China. And there's a lot other guardrails around, you know, the chips that they make in China uh, have to be for the Chinese market. So 
You know, we, are, we, are, we know that these companies will continue to sell to China. I understand that. But we have to protect America and national security. When I speak to executives who might be involved in the building side, which to me is very exciting, a lot of jobs there, uh, they are often seem to be constrained. They don't have enough people. But you've got an important women in construction jobs initiative that I think yeah. maybe, let's, let's say the pie gets bigger. The pie needs to get bigger. I worry about this. I don't know about you, but every CEO I talk to in every industry says, I can't hire enough people fast enough. You know, maybe in tech right now, it's a little bit different. Mm -hmm. But in the construction industry, we are going to create maybe 150,000 construction jobs. You've seen these fabs. A a leading edge fab is is the size of four football fields. You need seven, eight, nine thousand people. So what I'm saying is, let's double the number of women in construction. Women make great welders, sure. plumbers, pipe fitters. Let's find them, train them, and put them to work. I know that the president uh, talked a lot about how factories close. We lost a lot of jobs. Some of this just must be because we stopped making things, and we're making them now. Bingo. You got it. We stopped making things. I think. In 1990, there were several, like 350,000 people working in the chip industry in America. Now there's like 160,000. We stopped making them. Well, we outsourced a lot to Taiwan, which I know you and I are both concerned about because it's so close to the PRC. Yeah. One of the ways, I think, to checkmate the PRC, if I can be so bold as to say, is to do more with India. And, and India can yes. go either way. We can yes. make India, and you are really at the forefront of this, a, a better ally. No question about it. I'm heading over to India uh, in March. I'll be spending the week there. I'm taking a handful of U.S. CEOs with me. I think there's a lot to like about India right now. They're making a lot of the right moves. Look, it's a large population, a lot of workers, skilled workers, um, English speakers, uh, So I th- a democratic country, rule of law. So I think you're exactly right. Okay, when we talk about India, we have to consider, well, wait a second, they're taking Russian oil, Uh, there are issues of, frankly, of the environment that we have to worry about. How do these come up? You don't want to turn them off, so to speak, but at the same time, these are important issues from from a moral issue. Yeah. Look, that's part of the deal. So we are asking India. uh, I'm running the Indo-Pacific Economic Framework. Okay. So we have a... uh, 13 countries, including India, and we're saying to them, look, sign up at the government-to-government level to labor standards, environmental standards, anti-corruption standards, rule of law standards, and in return, it'll unlock U.S. business, U.S. capital, jobs in India. But that's... You know, that's okay. the other side Good. of the coin. You have to come in with, with, with a cudgel. It's not just all well, happy talk. It's an incentive. Okay. You know, raise the, the standards, way to put it. jobs, and money for your people. Excellent. Now, uh, you've been with business people. president was talking very tough about buybacks. Yeah. Uh, may not think that they're in the interest of most people in America. Obviously, uh, companies love them. Uh, where do you come out on this? Look, I'm with the president. I think companies need, should be investing in research and development, uh, raising wages, infrastructure, et cetera. I'm strongly with the president that uh, we ought to raise taxes on the wealthiest and on corporations, close some of the loopholes, and take that money and make investments. You know, like he said last night, we've started the job. Let's finish. So, you know, why is it? Why is it that we don't have universal public pre-K? It's embarrassing. Why is it that we don't have, 
you know, child care. You want women to go back to work? Child care, it's got to be provided, it's too expensive. So we need to raise taxes in some ways and then make investments to make the economy stronger. Well, I, I, what the president said about if you just go to school a very short period of time, which is what we do in this country, you can't compete. And that's it's quite a fact. Quite up. It's a fact. Now, a uh, couple things that I've got to just really figure out here. Uh, one is the notion that we're uh, oil, okay, well, another decade. And it was the president said it in a kind of a flip way, but there are hundreds of thousands of people involved in the oil industry. And the oil industry, they're not necessarily the bad guys. So, I mean, I thought they were to some degree uh, cast in a light, which is that they're in the dark ages. But if they're not encouraged to move more brown from black, then we won't be able to have cleaner skies. I mean, you can't just dismiss them. No, absolutely not. But the president isn't trying to dismiss them. What he's saying is, yes, of course, you know, we need a transition. We are and will be for some time reliant on uh, oil and natural gas. But at the same time, it's wrong that they profited from this war and wouldn't increase domestic capacity. And so I interpreted the president as saying, come to the table and let's have a plan uh, to do what's right for America and, you know, do right by the American people who deserve lower cost and more supply. Uh, at the same time, we've got some technology companies that are very big and very powerful. I know that the uh, Assistant Attorney General for Antitrust has made a very, I think, compelling case against Google. Is this the beginning of a series of cases, or are we just Google's uh, front and center right now? Better question to ask them than me. Fair enough. But I think that this president is is very serious about competition. We want we want to have a capitalistic, entrepreneurial economy. You need to let small businesses and entrepreneurs flourish. Uh, you know that. I know that. We've I've lived that. In my no, business I know. World. You know, I'm that's my, so my view. It's it is um, not against anything against any big company, but I think. Look at the Justice Department. The whole administration is deadly serious about about uh, making sure we don't enable business practices that snuff out competition and small companies' ability to compete. I agree. <laughs> <laughs> you know, look, I want all business to win. You know that. I'm not. I'm not small business. Not big business. Yeah. I want. I want dinner on the table. And that's where I come from. But anyway, I would, and I know you do, too. I know you I do, do, too. I do. That, that's Gina Reminder. She's the U.S. Secretary of Commerce and has done a ton of work, both sides of the aisle again, to make it so this country is very strong, particularly great for shareholders. Don't mind saying that. Yep. We're back to the break. Coming up, Mattel's earnings are upon us. Can this toy maker deliver fun and games to investors? Kramer finds out next. just happened to the stock of Mattel. After the close, the iconic toy maker reported a, a set of what I can only describe as truly suboptimal numbers. This is not what we've come to expect from this Mattel. Under the leadership of CEO Enon Kreis, we've initially gotten a fabulous multi-year turnaround. But last year, Mattel ran into some turbulence thanks to supply chain issues and also a post-COVID hangover. People bought tons of toys before the kids during lockdown. So maybe there was less demand in the world when back to normal. I've got to figure this out. We knew things might get more difficult when management pulled their previously issued forecast for 2023, and that was done last October. Sure enough, when Mattel reported its fourth quarter results after the close, 
They missed on pretty much every major line. Revenue down 22% year over year. Massive margin shrinkage. 11 cent earnings miss off a 29 cent basis. Not a great time for Barbie, Fisher Price. And then their new full year forecast for 2023 was meaningfully weaker. So we've got to find out what's going on here and what to do with the stock. Let's check in with Anon Kreis. He's the straight shooting chairman and CEO of Mattel. Get a better, better read on the situation. Mr. Kreis, welcome back to Mad Money. Hi, Jim. Thank you for having me back. Okay, let's figure well, out what happened here. I want you to go top. I want you to talk soft sales environment. You're not alone. Tell us what's going on in the industry. Well, the fourth quarter was below our expectations as the macro environment was more challenging than anticipated. We entered the quarter expecting consumer demand to accelerate, which did happen, but it came later than expected. As a result, retailers, retailers reduced orders and incurred, we incurred additional costs to manage our inventory. But while less than expected, we did see growth in consumer demand in the quarter and the full year. We also grew net sales for the full year in constant currency and now have the strongest balance sheet we've had in years. So this is really about consumers being impacted by the economy more than anticipated, which also created inventory, an inventory issue, but our product is in demand and we believe the business fundamentals are strong. All right, so tell us uh, which lines are strong right now and which lines you think will do well in 2023. Well, to pull up from the quarter, uh, this was a growth year for the company. Uh, this, this year we saw, uh, and also to put it in another perspective, it was Mattel's highest four-quarter POS in eight years and the highest full-year POS in nine years and second on record, in spite of the challenging economy. The quarter was heavily skewed by the volatility and timing of retailer inventory movement throughout the year. But consumer demand was healthy with growth in POS for both the quarter and the full year. Well, uh, then why were gross margins so disappointing if consumer demand was healthy? Well, we did uh, have to manage through inventory. This is an issue, as I explained, that happened given the, uh, the fact that we did expect POS to turn. And it did happen, but it, it, we expected it to happen in the third quarter and expected to accelerate in the fourth quarter, but it happened not to the full extent that we anticipated. And well, what, did, what did cause retailer to reduce orders, but even still, we did see growth in consumer demand, and all in all, it was a great, uh, it, was, it was a growth quarter for the company in spite, of, uh, in spite of the economy. I understand you say it's a growth quarter. At the same time, it was a meaningful disappointment, and the economy's, gotten worse, not better, other than one employment number. Everything's pretty uh, downbeat. So what makes us think that we can turn it around in 2023? Yeah, so when I say growth quarter, this is in terms of POS, to be clear. Put it so. okay. And we are heading, heading into 2023. We are, although it's still early, we are seeing positive consumer demand for our product. And we factored that into our plan and despite the macro economy, our, our balance sheet is in the strongest position it's been in years. And we just announced that we are going to resume our share repurchase uh, uh, program, which speaks to our confidence in our plans and execution strategy heading into 2023. 
All right, let's talk about what I think is really needed, a, a recovery in dolls. What do you have in the pipeline that could make dolls excel in 2023? Well, when we talk about dolls, it's important to highlight Barbie, which is such an incredible brand. Uh, and there are a few important points to mention. Barbie, uh, as well as the rest of the doll category, was impacted by retailers reducing replenishment orders and lower sales of high-priced items in a volatile year. But still, POS for Barbie was only down by 1%. So consumer, consumer demand is healthy, especially coming off two years of double-digit growth and the highest year on record. So Barbie uh, was the number one global doll property and the number two global property overall in all of toy for both uh, all of toys for both the fourth quarter and the full year. So you have a situation where there is an inventory issue that is weighing on our results in the fourth quarter, but doesn't that doesn't change the underlying consumer demand for our product that remains healthy for the fourth quarter and the full year. And with that, we believe we are well positioned entering 2023 with positive consumer demand that positions us well for the rest of the year. Now, uh, I do feel that um, it's great that you could resume buybacks. I think if people see the stock down, I really kind of want to have a data point or two that people should be thinking about besides the uh, resumption of a buyback that will make people feel more confident once if the stock does get hit over a series of days. So if you look at our multi-year uh, trajectory and the performance that we have delivered consistently, this speaks for, uh, for itself. Our balance sheet, even in a challenging year, continued to improve. We lowered our debt by $250 million. We improved our leverage ratio. It's down now down to 2.4. And we ended the year on strong financial footing. Moody's upgraded our credit rating to investment grade. And as I've said, our balance sheet in this, is in the best position it's been in years, which will provide even more flexibility for us to execute our strategy. I, I know when I look things over, I, I felt that's exactly right. That what mattered to me here is, is that you have a lot of flexibility, more than Mattel ever has, and that's all you're doing. I've got to cut it off there. I'm sorry, but Enon Kreis, Chairman and CEO of Mattel, doing his best. Thank you so much, sir. Man, money's back in Coming up, Kramer takes your calls, and the sky is the limit. It's a fast fire lightning round. Next. And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready? Ski, got it. Time for the lightning round. We start with Kenny in New York. Kenny. Hey, Mr. Kramer, thank you for taking yes. my question. I respect your insight. So, okay, hey, thank you. So, I'm a, I'm a video editor and producer who bought Vimeo at $45 a share when it went public because I use it and I believe in it. But I'm watching its shares drop down to four dollars and change. So what should I do? Should I hold on to it and pray? Uh, Kenny, look, I'm not recommending any stocks of companies that are not profitable. Uh, and as much as you know what the company does and how good it is, and I do too, I can't recommend a stock here that is losing money. So I say no. Let's go to Allen and Florida, Allen. 
Jimmy Chill. I have a very special Eagles to the Super Bowl. Booyah to ya. Gotcha. Go Bears. What's up? Jimmy, everywhere I look, CNBC, Wall Street Journal, New York Times, there's talk of a worldwide nuclear renaissance. In the U.S., they're extending the life of reactors like Diablo Canyon. China's building lots of new reactors every year. Japan is actually restarting many of the reactors they never thought would start again. And instead of selling uranium, Japan is now buying uranium. The analysts I follow say there's a shortage of uranium. There's not enough to go around. Is Uranium Energy Corp, UEC, who's sitting on tons of this stuff, a good spec play? I can't agree with you. I agree with you about, a lot about Nuke, but not about that company. It is losing money. It should be making company it, money. It should be coining money, but it's not. So I say no. I don't understand it. I'm not done. I'm going to Tyler in Illinois. Tyler. Hey, Jimmy Jill. You know Jimmy yeah. DeBull? You are calling it official. With that, electric vehicles, construction, and metal prices will rise. Nickel becomes a must. With a slight pullback, 20% down from its 2022 highs, Earnings coming up and my birthday tomorrow is bail where I need to be. Well, first, happy birthday. Let's get there February 9. Write that down. Um, but you know what? The problem with the, this is a company that Ballet is located in Brazil. And I have political risk there. I do not take political risk on my money. I don't want it. Let's go to Richard in Nevada. Richard! Jimmy! Hey, with the yo, yo. 1.1 million shares of Highland bought by BlackRock. With orders coming in, is it time to buy Highland? No, they're losing money, and I'm not, I'm not going to lose my discipline just because a lot of losing stocks are going higher. I'm not going to recommend stocks of companies that are losing fortunes. And that, ladies and of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Coming up, bulls have been on parade despite regular headwinds. So how high do rates need to go? Kramer considers next. These Fed officials love talking endlessly about how interest rates need to go higher, must go higher. They blabber nonstop about our inability to stop wage inflation, with each governor, regional Fed president trying to out-hawk the other hawks. But you know what? The stock market's troubled. Not sure it believes. This has been a remarkable year so far for the bulls. They've trampled the bears, in part because the bears seem totally clueless about the real progress in the fight against inflation. And that includes the inflation hawks in the Federal Reserve. How could the endless rate hike contingent be so out of touch? I think they don't pay enough attention to individual companies, because if they did, they'd be a lot less worried. Take this morning. We heard from David Gibbs, the CEO of Yum Brands, which owns KFC, Taco Bell, and Pizza Hut, gigantic company. He told us point blank, we are seeing wage pressure come down. We are seeing applications go up. He believes inflation is moderating, that 2023 will be what they call a more normal year. And this is coming from a guy who has tens of thousands of employees right here in this country. He knows what he's talking about. Then last night, Chipotle CEO Brian Nickel, he told us about how his stores are almost fully staffed. Now, I blanched initially when he said that. I thought they were already fully staffed. But they they were having a hard time finding employees, and that no longer seems the case. That's why they're so confident they can find 15,000 people for what they call the burrito season, something that may not be in your calendar, but it's an ongoing initiative. I don't think they would have been this confident even six months ago. Plus, the layoffs, which were initially limited to tech, are now appearing everywhere. Just tonight, a firm holding the buy now pay later finance outfit, and now it is cutting 19% of its workforce. And then the once invisible, invincible Disney, Disney tonight announced it was laying off 7,000 people. 
perhaps just as important, tech's doing what it's always done historically, allowing companies to hire fewer people by making them more productive, something I think is eluding the Fed's worldview here. Last night, Chipotle's Brian Nickel came on our show and discussed the relative chippy. It's a machine that can make burritos or handle other prosaic tasks, machines replacing people. I suspect we aren't too far away from the biggest tech use case ever, with artificial intelligence taking the place of practically every mundane task that requires customer interaction. Remember, NVIDIA is really the originator of these AI products. CEO Jensen Wong is a sort of a Prometheus Unbound, where he refused to be a slave to Moore's Law, the old rule of thumb that semiconductors would double in power every two years, but seems to run out. NVIDIA has been beating Moore's Law for ages now, making far more powerful chips, allowing them to seamlessly report any query platform, 27 languages, ideal for the fast food industry. Surprisingly, no fast food companies embraced AI ordering technology. I think they'll be making the switch as we get a better sense of how good these platforms are. And that will switch. That switch could occur this year. Maybe now it's cheaper to hire humans at minimum wage. But as the cost of artificial intelligence comes down, I bet they save a fortune by ditching people for technology. That potentially free up hundreds of thousands of employees while saving money on botched orders. Right now, the fast food chains have resisted doing so, with the head of one of the larger chains telling me that customers want a human on the other end of the speaker. I think they simply haven't seen what AI can do. They should spend more time messing around with ChatGPT. Plus, let's be real, this is 2023. Most customers would take a machine over a human being any day of the week. These changes are going to happen very fast now. Yes, we created half a million jobs last month, but what really matters isn't the level of job creation, it's the level of tightness in the labor market meaning how hard it is for businesses to find employees. And it's sure looking like finding people has gotten a lot easier than the members of the Fed seem to believe. Job cuts plus productivity to me means we won't have to fight the Fed through all of 2023. A bullish development fewer banking on, especially those on the Federal Reserve Board. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere, and I probably try to find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer. See you tomorrow. From their innovative practice facility to unmatched views from the fairway, the PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with 5G solutions from T-Mobile for Business. Together, we're using AI-powered analytics to expand coaching tools and bringing fans closer to the pros with 5G-connected cameras. This is game-changing innovation. This is the PGA of America with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now.